Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4032 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for an unapologetically visual world. For the week beginning Monday, the 12th of June, 2017, I am Andy Zaltzman, and the thrum of the pencil still democrophises through the nerves in my voting arm after yesterday's box extravaganza. And I'm in London, just literally yards away from where Theresa May, as we speak, has reportedly just finished being cuddled by the Queen, whilst the monarch said to her, don't worry, we all make absolutely colossal unnecessary fucks every now and again, love. And whenever you commoners realise you can't hack the big stuff, move over over and let Lizzie take over. Joining me this week to officially chronicle the events of planet Earth so that future generations have an objectively provable record of what the fuck actually went on. That's what this show has always been about. Firstly, back on the bugle for the first time since the election. Um, from Radiotopia's very own The Illusionist podcast, Blood Relative of the Year in the annual Bugle Co-host Awards, all the way from A, the same womb I used to live in, and B, upstairs in my house. That couple Not of the weeks, same place. That couple of weeks in our attic has turned into a couple of weeks with quite a lot of other weeks in between them, Helen. Uh, it's the woman who puts the lodge into etym- etymological... And the linger into linguistics. The fount of all worldly wisdom. It's Helen Zaltzman. Hello, Andy. Hello. What a wonderful introduction. Thanks, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you for recreating our mother's womb in your attic. (laughs) (laughs) It's very graphic. Right, right. (laughs) A lot of wreckage in there from when you occupied it. The graffiti, Jesus. uh, That was Richard's fault. Um, uh, We spent... uh, a long evening watching telly last night. We did. I wasn't going to stay up and watch it because um, I made a resolution to myself not to stay up all night watching things that would upset me after, in 2002, I watched the Japanese horror film Ringu at 2am. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, you came running into the room very excited when the exit polls came in. I, I think, love an exit poll. I think more excited than I've ever seen you. And really? Running with more energy even than when you were delivering your own son upstairs in the same house. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, I sat there to watch it with you, and you kept going, Maggie, 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 out, out, out. <laughs> and uh, Someone's got to say it. Yeah, and 4-0, 4-0. So I think for you, it's just a sporting event in which people were wearing uh, worse garments. Yeah, well, that's how I see politics. And, Pretty much. You know, Labour were 4-0 up at one stage. It looks like an unpregnant. But they should have sat on that lead. But they got cocky and tried to get more seats. They should have sat on the 4-0 and taken it. Uh, also on Team Bugle this week, for the first time, joining us here in London from across the pond in the USA... She set foot in Britain just days ago, and her mere presence here has provoked one of the oddest general elections in British history. <laughs> that is the kind of power she wields. It is a part of Nanchella. Hello. What? Hello. Welcome. Welcome Thank to the Bugle. Thank you so much. I take full credit for the election <laughs> results. You nailed What's... it almost. Almost nailed it. Try harder next time. I, it was my first attempt, so. It was not bad, but uh, go for more socialism next time. <laughs> okay. We are recording on Friday the 9th of June 2017, making this the north anniversary of the most spectacularly unconvincing victory in British political history. As always, a section of this bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, a future of British politics section that I'd written 24 hours ago, including, will a new left-wing party emerge from the wreckage of a now obsolete Labour? Where now for Jeremy Corbyn, with some newspapers calling for him to be tried at the International Criminal Court for crimes he could quite easily have committed had he been someone else somewhere else at another time? We ask, will Europe now do the right thing and send all their money and a hundred head of oxen to sacrifice to our great indomitable imperial leader, the great Theresa May? And a poetry section also going in the bin, just in case Lenin does take over on 
on a minority government after the Conservative DUP alliance collapses, and he wants to get that new gulag ticking over. Those sections in the bin. Top story this week, an election that no one won and everyone lost to various different degrees and some people were quite happy with how little they'd lost and other people were quite upset with how little they'd won. It was it was a confusing, confusing slab of democracy. Isn't that very British though? Because we don't like to grandstand in a victorious <laughs> right. way. It's a good metaphor for life that you just lose to various degrees. There's no real winner. Why could Theresa May not have come out and said that? Instead of all this bullshit about worth needing stability, if she said, no, this is just a metaphor for life, people. Now let us all get on with things. Well, we need this clarity of vision from you, Aparna. It's oh. lacking in our politics. It's because Aparna is human and Theresa May had not had a software update in quite a while, not since the 90s. How did the... the uh, I mean, obviously, you had your election last November. But how were the... The emo- the churn of emotions through that night as it unfolded. Oh, I for you. It well, I would say last night felt like almost like an alternate reality that could have happened. Like I was like, oh, this is what would have happened if Hillary won. Like we would all be like, oh, good, because it was the opposite. It was kind of like, oh, things are worse than we expected. And then as as the night went on, it was like it was like cycling through all the stages of grief. <laughs> And coming back to the first one. I remember the next day in New York, everyone was walking around like they had just been dumped or something. <laughs> They'd been dumped by democracy. Yeah. It's a in, tough breakup. I was in Chicago uh, the day after, and uh, because we'd already been through Brexit five months before, which was a similarly uh, uh, miserable experience, yes. everyone was going, Tell me how to feel. <laughs> and I was like, It's the stages of grief. You have to uh, yes. work through it, just submit to it. Um, but not today. Not well, today. Yeah, no, and. and I mean, it's a measure of how little was expected of Corbyn and the Labour Party, but that it's it sort of felt for them like a victory, even though they still lost by, what, 50 seats? In this world, that is what I'll take, Andy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've got to take my non-despairer, I can get it. It was a very odd election in that Conservatives uh, got basically exactly the same vote share and number of votes as Tony Blair in his biggest triumph in 1997. They got the mm-hmm. same 42.5% of the vote as Thatcher, in 1983 when she waltzed home with a 144-seat majority. More than Thatcher mm. in 1987 when she got a 100-seat majority. They're resurgent in Scotland where they've basically been spent the last 20 years checking into a mortuary and whacking tags on their own toes. And yet the result is a total f***ing catastrophe for the Conservatives and the Prime Minister clinging to office by some extremely ill-kept fingernails. Context is all... It, it was amazing to me how quickly the Tory party turned on Theresa, which... Firstly, suggests what a noxious uh, culture there is within the party, but secondly, suggests that she has both been shaped by that culture, having been in it for such a long time, and has shaped it, having been in it for such a long time. Yeah, it feels like that happens a lot in the Republican Party in the States, that people will put someone up on a pedestal and be like, he's the next, uh, you know, he's the next saviour, and then he does one thing, and they're like, we never liked him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I liked uh, very much... uh, Anna Subri's victory speech seems wrong. It had the tone of a concession speech, even though she won. <laughs> but it, was, it went on for many minutes, and it was like a one-woman performance of Abigail's party. <laughs> and middle of the night, she looked kind of haunted, and she basically just kept saying, well, Theresa May is a shit pile. She's a shit pile. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> 
she's got to go because she's f***ing shit. <laughs> and uh, I thought you're supposed to be on the same team. Thank you for interpreting those words for us. You're, <laughs> of course, an etymological master. I, I just call it like I see it. <laughs> Corbyn, uh, although he lost, he got as big a share of the vote as Blair in 2001 when he won. Way more than David Cameron got in either of his really? uh, two election victories, one of which he actually won. Uh, and yet he still <laughs> lost convincingly. Uh, the Liberal Democrats were a few seats up, but lost Nick Clegg, uh, the Aww. former Deputy Prime Minister. Still got a pitifully small proportion of the vote, down to 7.2%, which is lower even than their disaster performance two years ago. But even given that, they're still woefully underrepresented in terms of seats. I think they've ended up with 13. So in terms of their percentage... So they've managed to do simultaneously slightly better and still f***ing shitly and been the victim of uh, horrifically fair unfairness. I can't, I can't make head or tail of it. And yeah, this is ultimately very British. This is what keeps yep. us modest. <laughs> Arrogance undercut with extremely low self-esteem and underachievement. Uh, I liked how um, uh, John Prescott told everybody that upon the exit polls being published, Rupert Murdoch stormed out of a party at the Times. Rupert Murdoch's about nine million years old. Can you really storm at that age? <laughs> Our dad's quite elderly. When he storms out of somewhere, it's like a tumbleweed slowly right. blowing across the road. I like to think it was like a sustained five minutes of one step at a time. And everyone just had to watch. Are you saying Rupert Murdoch does not gloriously respect the democratic will of the people who buy his newspapers and satellite dishes? How could you possibly suggest such a thing? Look, you'll, be, you'll be in the tower by the morning. Uh, UKIP, <laughs> then your attic will be free, won't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, UKIP um, suffered the kind of overwhelming defeat that possibly the only thing that might keep them alive by losing by so much that uh, they can start bleating on about how Brexit, meaning Brexit, doesn't mean enough Brexit anymore. <laughs> and uh, Nigel Farage will come back like the un- unslayable vampire that he is <laughs> to suck on the twitching corpse of British freedom. He he is the dildo that does not die. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good product. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a separate career for him, if only he would take it. Um, the mail seemed particularly subdued in its coverage, um, rather than I thought it would lead with some extreme bile, but instead it had uh, some reflective headline, and then above that... Um, the banner story was woman gives birth to her own brother. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? is, that a, is that a Theresa May story or not? I, I can't tell whether it's a metaphor or some horrific incest <laughs> that they're selling as a, a kind of amusement. Right. How have you been impressed with our media since you, you got here? I fun? feel like it it feels a great deal more measured than our media. Wow. I mean, wow. short of short of hearing just about this birth story, but maybe I've been maybe I've been filtering out the more ostentatious stuff. If you haven't been looking at the print media, then you might think it was uh, reasonably august. Yes, I think that's what it is. Because I know I know there's the Daily Mail, and I thought the print media was supposed to die. When will it bloody die? <laughs> Uh, my friend uh, Simon, it was his birthday on election day, so as a treat for himself, he went to the newsagents and bought every copy of the Mail, the Express and the Sun and put them in the recycling bin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do they have joke candidates in the US like we have? Because uh, when they were announcing that Theresa May had won her seat in Maidenhead again, there's a whole row of people. There was um, someone called Lord Buckethead who had this big <laughs> black tube 
on his head and uh, someone else wearing an Elmo costume. So whenever the BBC replayed the footage of Theresa May winning, <laughs> someone putting his Elmo head back on because obviously it's really hot. Oh, that's so good. We we definitely do in the... We sort of like the same way American Idol has those first few rounds where it's just for fun to see who can really not sing. I think we have we had like the rent is too high guy and, you know, Rick Perry is always good for a laugh. <laughs> but no one in a massive Elmo costume. No, I, I wish we had more colorful characters, but they're usually it's more the words they say that end up being colorful. <laughs> Last <laughs> night, uh, Tim Farron beat a fish finger. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> An actual fish finger? But Mr. Fish Finger. Uh, an anthropomorphised fish finger. <laughs> but what I love is that the announcer an- announces them all with equal seriousness. So in Maidenhead, it was like, May, Teresa, 30,000 and blah, blah, blah. Buckethead, Lord, <laughs> seven. Um, the, a Elmo, uh, he only picked up three votes, sadly. Aww. Which suggests that it's not really a big issue for the voting public Aww. in Maidenhead. They're quite happy without Elmo. For Ouch. whatever reason, I don't know how Mister Mister Fishfinger did, but uh, didn't win. But Farron had Farron, uh, the Liberal Democrat leader, clung onto his seat narrowly, and that would have been a disappointing way to get turfed out of office if <laughs> twenty people voting for a giant fish finger <laughs> changed the course of political history. Mister um, Fishfinger got three hundred and nine votes. Oh, oh, so he lost his that's, deposit, but that's pretty tidy effort. That's though, not for a, a bad for showing a for a fish finger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because they can't speak. Right. And fish don't even have fingers, so it's really a stretch on many yeah. levels. I don't know if it was just something to do with EU fishing quotas. But... <laughs> oh, he's raising the issues that other politicians are scared to address. I wonder whether he's run before. Also, are all these novelty candidates male? Is there something in the male psyche? It does. Oh. There does seem to be a preponderance. I mean, it is obviously Theresa May is put on a costume of a human. (laughs) I like how there was that uh, woman running against Jeremy Corbyn for the communists, and she got seven votes. But she seemed very happy to have been beaten by another communist. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That seems like a very communist reaction. Exactly. They're all in it together. (laughs) And also, there was that moment that Jeremy Corbyn tried to high five Emily Thornberry, but she wasn't high fiving back. So basically, slapped her in the boot. Oh no! Oh no! (laughs) Good times. Riotous good times. That's what democracy is all about. It, it was maybe a hundred years ago, Andrew. Don't go back. <laughs> for Theresa May, she essentially she called this election for absolutely no reason. She put the future of the country on the roulette table. Thought, right, this is going to come down on blue, and then it came down on either red or black. Essentially, <laughs> so it, was, it was a bad bet. And as you you probably heard upon it, her whole shtick was this strong and stable. Right. Phrase, which she repeated, I mean, even in defeat, essentially. I mean, she's been essentially, she's shown the strength and stability of a soft-boiled egg on a circus tightrope. It's very very strong and stable to have three major national votes in the space of two years, isn't it? Yes, and now, Mm. as we record, she's just uh, just visited visited, uh, Lizzie in... uh, in Buckingham Palace. Girls' to, night. To, uh, <laughs> Girls' morning after. Um, Bust out the Lambrini. Does it symbolise anything? Her go- what? What hap- What does it mean when you go visit well, the Queen? Technically, the Queen can refuse anything that Parliament wants to do. So oh. Parliament has to go and request that she can form a new government. Oh, I see. And because this one is an uncertain result, she doesn't have the outright majority then the Queen could tell her to f*** off. Right. But the Queen is 91. It doesn't really give a shit. 
So she visited the Queen and has come out and said uh, in a speech in Downing Street, uh, proclaiming her, not so much her victory as her not having lost by 100%. Um, <laughs> what the country needs now more than ever is certainty. <laughs> and she said in, uh, as she accepted uh, the victory in her constituency uh, that the country needs stability now at the start of these Brexit. Perhaps something she should perhaps have thought of before stabilising the nation by splunking her micro-mandates in favour of an even less convincing nano-mandate. If there is one f***ing lesson that you should have learned from managing not to win a certain victory is that certainty is f***ing uncertain these days. And I think we've probably had enough of it. We've had enough of experts and certainty in this country. Are you sure that because she says things like Brexit means Brexit and other totally vapid uh, semantic <laughs> constructions that certainty is certainty and uncertainty is uncertainty would not be uh, better. Well, there's very gnomic utterances, aren't they? She's like a... She's like a broken Delphic oracle. Yeah. <laughs> Day the drugs went bad. <laughs> yeah, so she stood on this uh, this this great uh, strong and stable leadership mm -hmm. platform. And then her campaign was the equivalent of a new school teacher trying to get control of a disruptive classroom by sticking mm. an I'm a loser sign on her own back, <laughs> no. then turning round, facing the blackboard, pointing at her back with one hand and writing, I left my last job because the children tease me on the blackboard. <laughs> this sounds like something you had personal experience with when you were an 11-year-old boy. <laughs> In terms of ineffective slogans of history, I mean, this is this is right up there for me. Uh, you know, most useless political slogans of history. Uh, the uh, Richard III's, my horse, my horse, my kingdom for a horse. I mean, that's just economically illiterate. I mean, that's just short-termism of the worst kind in politics, isn't it? Just selling this like Gordon Brown on the gold all over again. The uh, Hamlet's to be or not to be, that is the question. Oh, yeah. That's too vague for a political leader, don't you think? You want, you want concrete policies, not existential quandaries. Well, I thought he was just uh, in line for leadership. Right. You think he's keeping it nicely, electably vague? Yes, yes. because then you appeal to both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tories in 2005, their famous "Are you thinking what we're thinking?" to which the electorate <laughs> is that really the, was that really that their was. slogan? Yes, and the electorate responded, "I fucking hope not." Um, <laughs> now, of course, make America great again. Where, where for you upon does that stand in the the pantheon of great slogans from politicians? Well, I think it's it's already. I mean, I hate it. That's I won't mince words about that, but. I think it it is also vague, but it's vague in a way that still, like if you're like a sports fan or something, you'll be like, yeah, even though you don't know exactly what it means. You're just like, it's like when people start to fight and then everyone's like, fight, 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 fight. <laughs> you just start yelling and then you're like, yeah, I guess I'm on this team now. <laughs> to be fair to Trump, he's uh, he's nailing it. I mean, he's successfully carrying out the necessary phase one, which is making making America shit. <laughs> So yeah, so it can then become at some point in the future great again, <laughs> better than shit. Yeah, so it's, this is just phase one. Well, so, that's comforting. Yep. Thank you, Andy. Really uh, Stalin's uh, Stalin's famous "Vote for me or I'll f***ing kill you" slogan. <laughs> pretty, pretty effective. A very fragile message. Uh, as I, you know, I've said before, if you if you play the strong and stable card that hard, it is e easily undermined if you do things that do not exactly exude that strengthiest stability. Uh, like, essentially, she did hiding behind your sofa whilst all the other leaders are having a TV debate, saying, I'm, I'm busy getting shit done. Um, oh, sorry, that wasn't... Just cut that bit out. I hadn't quite finished okay. writing that. <laughs> the, um, 
the later gambit the Tories went with was by attacking Labour by saying there is no magic money tree. This seemed mm. to be the uh, height of sophistication of the economic debates that we had in the build-up to this election. There is no magic money tree. Yeah, George the, uh... Osborne cut it down in 2010. <laughs> well, look, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not an economics expert. You I'm wrote not... a book about economics in 2008. Yeah. Many people have written books about economics who are not economic <laughs> experts, and I am amongst You're... the least ex- expertaceous of them. Yours is taught in universities. <laughs> Where do they get copies, though? <laughs> Poundland. <laughs> I mean, just because it's sold so fast in the shops that it was I mean, almost impossible to get hold of a physical copy. <laughs> still, still available on the internet. Um, also, I think voters heard this. There is no magic money tree. And then they looked at the City of London and the profits and tax contributions of some of the large global corporations who reap the benefits of our workforce and economy. The amount of money flying around in global hedge funds, the wages and assets of the hyper-rich. And they thought, you know what? I think there might be a magic money tree somewhere if you really look hard. Someone has at least, at the very least, got a magic money shrub and we could ask them for like a little cutting off it, see if we could make it grow. So I think that's one of the reasons the Tories didn't really hit home. Because of the deforestation they've been doing. The deforestation of magic money trees. <laughs> very short-sighted. But all in all, and you know, we are recording this whilst the uh, we've not really had full time to digest the... Um, Whatever has happened. <laughs> Who has, Andy? Yes. Who has? Um, I mean, it still it does need now seem that what Brexit means is now even less clear than when it just meant Brexit. Oh, good. They've managed to uh, spin out a whole other series of that. Yeah. Um, it was essentially, electorally, uh, Theresa May not so much missing an open goal as building a goal when she thought no one else was on the pitch. And still managing not only to blast the ball so wide of the goal that it hit the corner flag, but then the ball then rebounding back up the pitch into her own goal. That is how much of an own goal this was. That is why people won't broadcast women's sports. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, not the first Tory to miss an open goal in recent elections. Uh, David Cameron hammered one against the post in 2010, but then the ball ricocheted in, luckily, off the Liberal Democrats, and he ran away celebrating as if he just curled in a perler from 25 yards. And you getting these references, Helen? Thrilled by them. Right. <laughs> you are such a disappointment to me. And again, in... Um, <laughs> and you, me. In, uh, in, uh, <laughs> that's my new catchphrase whenever you're on the show. And again, in 2015, Cameron uh, trickled the ball towards the goal. It was maybe just dribbling over the line, but then Ed Miliband sprinted back in defence and hammered it into his own net. So there's been some great goals in British uh, electoral football. How come they didn't have Jeremy Vine on a big computer-generated football pitch instead of that fake House of Commons that he was uh, spending all night in alone? Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, if you didn't see the the so you didn't see the BBC coverage. There was some. <clears throat> it was kind of like a I don't know. It was like a nineteen nineties computer game. He seemed to be stuck in. Yeah, it was like a Second <laughs> Life uh, House of really? Commons. Yeah. With the uh, various bits of uh, infographic happening around him, one broadcaster by himself for many hours. So they could have given him any environment could have had a total pleasure dome instead he went to oh. a worse approximation of a real place he could have probably been in oh that's so strange what if there was a second life parliament he's still trapped in it <laughs> <laughs> no one has busted him out should we not be run by a second life parliament would that not be more efficient and make more sense if we can just outsource human politics to it, it would second life yeah who would who would want to do it though it must be kids will do it. <laughs> <laughs> just outsource get it some, to children. Just get some Indonesian children. So you're off the trainers for the week. You can run our parliament instead. Would it be any worse? I yes, would take the risk with it. Would take it. Yeah. Would take it. 
Do you think that this election result indicates that people who voted for Brexit have maybe changed their mind about it? Well, it's a bit hard to say that because now we've seen in polls people uh, not so much in favour of Brexit but accepting that Brexit was voted for. But I still I don't think they've particularly changed their mind about it being a needlessly idiotic high risk Mm. gambit of essentially sticking a finger in a plug to see what happens. (laughs) Um, What do you think, Helen? I thought it was uh, refreshing that uh, the election campaigns turned out not to be about uh, disgusting racism. Just for a little while. (laughs) Just for a nice change of pace. Instead, we're about real things like uh, healthcare. Right. Yeah. You're in favour of healthcare. Oh, thumbs up to healthcare. (laughs) There's enough people alive in Britain as it is. Uh, Corbyn uh, said to to, to the BBC that it was pretty clear who's won this election. What does he know that no one else does? (laughs) (laughs) The seven-vote communist woman has got a big stash of ballot papers in her bag. Yes. I mean, Labour has had certain issues with mathematics during the course of this campaign. But, um, yeah, fundamentally, no one won this election. Maybe democracy... Did democracy win this election? Or is it just lying in the corner looking confused and rocking backwards and forwards um, like a bear in a zoo? Uh, maybe it did British values win the election. The British values of calling bullshit on obvious bullshit. Maybe that's the Yeah. That's the I mean, democracy won in the sense that everyone voted for their own interests and it appears there's no majority <laughs> interest. Uh, Labour, what did well by comparison with the last time, by comparison with how they were expected to do and by comparison with how the majority of the media told them that they were going to do. But winning, I mean, maybe... They won against themselves, which in the grand tradition of lefty infighting is quite a good result. <laughs> if, if maybe they had more than a month to do some decent labouring, then uh, they would have won. But they pulled it pulled it together at the last minute. Yes. Like when you organised a wedding on three months' notice. <laughs> I, I organised it. <laughs> well, I, um, I didn't so much organise it as... Uh, you attended. ...set the thing, yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got a tie. I got a tie and I drew a cartoon for the invitation and that was about it. <laughs> but on such short notice, well done. Thank you, Helen. My favourite thing I learned from reading British election coverage was that the reason some people don't like Jeremy Corbyn is like he's had a sort of extremist ties in the past, but also that he makes his he makes jam. <laughs> well, you can't trust someone who preserves fruit. That's the first rule of democracy, isn't it? It's like, does that mean you're out of touch? <laughs> yeah, he's vegetarian and rides a bike. Uh. Yeah, well, he's hugely out of touch. You can buy jam in the shops these days. If you don't know that, how's he going to run the economy? I like that he's been going around the last few hours, though, like he's Mick Jagger or something. Just uh, arms in the air. Yeah. Oh, Theresa May also claiming victory. It's a bit like Captain Smith smashing into that iceberg and saying, yes, first, (laughs) beat those losers on the Carpathia. Get in. News from our home county of Kent, Andy. Uh, On the Monday before the election, a gigantic effigy of Theresa May appeared on the white cliffs of Dover, several stories high, flipping the V at <laughs> Europe and draped in a massive Union Jack. And uh, nobody knows who put it there. When people were putting up the massive scaffold for this huge effigy, they said, oh, we're getting it ready for filming. <laughs> and because everyone's like, oh, filming! Uh, they just they just uh, left them to it. They did not have permission. It's on National Trust land. Oh, right. And then, and then on Wednesday, upon have you ever heard of the Sir Navis giant? No. It is uh, a 180-foot uh, drawing etched into a hillside. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a chalk outline of a naked man holding a club. 
Okay. And um, well, well, there's there's one. I'm just going to get a picture of uh, of the Sir Navis giant um, up for you now. And having never seen him before, what would you say is the most distinctive part of his anatomy? I would say his um, an anatomical club. <laughs> yes. The, he does know. have uh, what can only be described as uh, eleven meter long genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, on Wednesday, uh, someone. Um, so also on Monday, uh, someone wrote Teresa in massive wooden letters along his penis. <laughs> and again, they said, we don't know who did this prank, but Sir Navas Giant also National Trust property. <laughs> so I think oh, right. we know where should we, we should be looking. Because also the National Trust went, no, this is awful vandalism. We've got to find out who did it. They, they're so po-faced about everything Sir Navas Giant based that I think it's the perfect smokescreen for them to do these uh, big pranky pranks. Um, well, there is a. Th- uh, do you know the origin of the Cernavus giant? Uh, do I? Do I know? Do I? Uh, I know that it is not nearly as old and mythical as people pretend. It's a couple hundred years old. Yes. Well, I was reading according oh. to no less a source than the fount of all knowledge, Wikipedia. Um, it uh, probably dates from the late seventeenth century. And perhaps originated as political satire. Oh, so it was one of your forebears. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, it's very much in the same spirit of uh, of uh, satire as the bugle itself. Uh, I met a, a white witch once who claimed that she got pregnant by. Uh, you're not supposed to go and walk on the Cernabus giant, but really? she snuck, is... snuck onto the property, oh. then uh, lifted up her skirts and sat on his penis. And uh, lo and behold, was pregnant. And and later she admitted right. to me she had already been early stages pregnant when she went to do that. But it's nice to have it confirmed. Oh right, okay. How how do you sit on it if it's etched into a? You 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 oh. just sit on that patch of penis oh, sure, grass. Sure. And so it used to be quite. I think that's why they had to fence it off because so many people were going there as a kind of fertility right. thing. And then that, giving birth to chalk lumps. Was that in the uh, <laughs> in the DVD extras of the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> And he wasn't chalk lumps, a uh, cricketer who played for a uh, <laughs> chalky lumps. Not from you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know quite what kind of political satire in the 17th century right. giant naked man with a stonking erection and a massive club. Nothing has changed. Right. right. Except the club. He'd probably right. have something else now, wouldn't he? Something to do with farming quotas, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Kent. There were a lot of shock results at this election. Labour lost Mansfield after 94 years. The SNP leader in the House of Commons, Angus Robertson, got the ballotty boot. Um, Nick Clegg, as we mentioned, lost his seat. But most shocking of all, the Conservatives lost Canterbury, which has been a Conservative seat, I think, since the early 19th century. I mean, they basically haven't voted for anyone else since since Thomas of Beckett was murdered in 1171, <laughs> I think. And they thought, no, we can't have any of this nonsense, bloody lefties. And... Um, so it's basically been Tory forever, and they lost the in, uh, in Kent. In Kent. Kent is now a blue donut with a red hole. <laughs> um, the <laughs> MP was uh, Sir Julian Brazier, man of the people, <laughs> whose father was in the military. He went to Wellington College and Brazenose College, Oxford. Uh, worked in corporate finance, was a management mm. consultant, and has been uh, MP for Canterbury since 1987, and is called Julian. He is the Toryest man in Britain. <laughs> yeah. It is not biologically possible to be more of a Conservative than that. 28 years in... Uh, um, uh, what's it? 30, 30 years in Parliament, backbencher of the year in 1996. Backbencher of the... How do you win that? Just by I'm doing nothing. Doing as little as possible, one assumes. <laughs> Not snoring too loudly. Um, opposed to gay marriage, mm. um, which is still, I mean, to me, an odd position in the 21st yes. century. Even Theresa May voted for gay marriage. 
Wow. So mm. when you are being beaten by Theresa May in an issue of social liberalism, <laughs> you've got to take a long, long, hard bath with yourself. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, you would have thought that even someone in, even a, an MP in Kent would have learnt after, what, three million years of human existence that who puts what in or near whom in the privacy of their own bedrooms probably is not an Armageddon-level threat to the future of the planet. But, you know, Kent is Kent. But how, how did the Tories lose this seat? This seems, this seems unfathomable to me. I did a computer simulation before the election of how the Conservatives could lose Canterbury, and he would have had to do all of the following. One put leaflets through every single letterbox in his constituency saying, F*** you, you f***ing plebs. I don't know why they stopped with Thomas and Beckett. They should have done away with a f***ing lot of you. Two, he could have, should have driven... He needed to drive around Canterbury in an election van with a loud hailer shouting, I can afford to have you all bumped off by an ex-KGB hitman. Vote for me or Igor's going to get busy. <laughs> Three, he'd have had to fly over Canterbury in an old Luftwaffe Junkers and bomb the living shit out of the cathedral whilst trailing a banner saying, we need some space for a new casino. And four, he would have had to urinate on an effigy of the Queen while screaming, why can't you be a real man like Margaret? Then, and only then, could the Tories have lost Canterbury, according to my simulation. And yet it happened. I think all of those might have uh, saved his votes. Do you reckon? Yeah. I'm wondering whether it is, A, students in Canterbury. Right. Or B, I think the constituency includes Whitstable, where a lot of Londoners have moved to. Right. Polluting Kent with their fancy lefty stock. And oysters. And oysters. I mean, there's so many upheavals now, Aparna, in in policy. How do you see? How do you see the next US? What can America pull out of the bag to shock? Because it seems to me now that people don't so much vote collectively in democratic elections anymore as just perform pranks on <laughs> right. TV pundits. That seems to be what it is. So what's America got up its sleeve for next time? Yeah, but you you already had the biggest political prank of we our did. lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, but how are you going to how are you going to top funny, that? Funny, funny joke. Top. Some people would argue we're we're heading towards anarchy now. Just with the, some people would argue we don't have a government right now. We have sort of a reality show in place of a government. Yeah, given the people that are in there, it's good that that's not a government. Yes. Um, hopefully, it'll be cancelled after one season. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's get, it seems to be getting quite good ratings, yes. just in terms of the number of people watching it, even if they're not necessarily enjoying it. The advertisers are happy. Yeah, it's basically branded content, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, it, there is, although Theresa May has said she will carry on, there is a possibility that she she could be forced out of office quite quickly. If she goes in the next month, she would become the shortest-serving Prime Minister since Andrew Boner Law, headline star of last week's reverse chronological order Prime Ministerial pun run, who lasted a disappointing 211 days before retiring ill in 1923 to concentrate on spending more time popping his clogs. And <laughs> she... <laughs> well, just don't shoot the messenger. It's, it's all there uh, in the history books. And she could, she would become the first PM, if she's out within a month, to clock out after less than a year, bubbling up in the Downing Street jacuzzi, which was installed, of course, by Viscount Palmerston in the 1850s. First to last less than a year since Sir Alec Douglas Hume was voted out in 1964. And perhaps the Prime Minister have the least impact, the least lasting impact on this country since Bertie the Tortoise stepped in as interim Prime Minister for a couple of weeks whilst Herbert Asquith went on a mate's stag weekend in 1911. 
and was arrested and jailed for 12 <laughs> days in Ibiza for climbing onto a fountain with his trousers around his ankles, singing a hit song, Touch Me, Touch Me, I Want to Feel Your Body, <laughs> covered, of course, many le decades later by the uh, famously embosomed model and pop starlet Samantha Fox. So could be a piece of history coming up. American news now, and, well, I mean, for fans of people watching quite dry testimony in official settings, it's been, uh, it's been an exciting, exciting day yesterday. Jane. I think it was the most exciting testimony people have seen in a while. Yeah. I saw someone comment that if there's anyone this is good news for, it's Bill Cosby because his trial is happening at the same time, and you know <laughs> that would be blowing up the airwaves if this wasn't. Right. So J James Comey, the uh, involuntarily retired um, FBI chief, he's basically his testimony, if I can sum it up, correct me if I'm wrong, if you may summarise his testimony in six words, it's, oh, yeah, he's full of shit. Yeah. Is that about, I mean, is there, I mean, is there any more detail we need to know over here, or is that, that pretty much sums it up? I think that pretty much sums it up. Like, I don't think there were any bombshells dropped yesterday. It was more just like... Yes, he's lied on multiple occasions. Right. And I can confirm that. Right. So it's is it not, it's not going to bring the Trump the Trump administration crashing instantly to ground or No, not in the way people hoped. I mean, a lot of things he I I watched some of the testimony and he just kept being like I can't answer that in an open setting. And he said that so many times. Yeah, it was quite annoying, wasn't it? Yeah. Boring. Yeah. Boring like, you can't hint at these little items of gossip and then not Ooh, actually Ooh, chase me. Woo. Rubbish. But people Come say that he likes doing these, like, dramatic announcements. Like, it's he's like that. So I don't know if he's just pacing himself. <laughs> he's like, they got enough for this week. <laughs> I got something big for next week. What I found interesting was that the guys interviewing um, interviewing him, cross-examining him. Interrogating. Mm -hmm. uh, interrogating. Were, there was a lot of, oh, I'm such a fan of your work. They were kind of like... Right, you know, right. Um, you know, kind of groupies. Thinking, Do you mind if we, can we get a selfie after this? Will you, yeah. Will you sign my bra? I've been following you yeah. for years. Yeah. <laughs> Trump also had a bit of a barney with our London mayor, Sadiq Khan, in the aftermath of the uh, horrific uh, terrorist attacks in London. Um, and... Yeah, it's very depressing this for me because amongst all the emotions that you go through when another terror attack happens, the horror, the incomprehension of the pointlessly nihilistic futility of it all, fear, concern for the future, attempted, you know, we try to be strong and defiant. Now there's a new emotion, which is dread about what the f Donald shitting Trump is going to f***ing say about it. And he duly stepped up to the plate to squirt his rancorously delusional vinegar into the still raw <laughs> emotional wounds London was suffering. What, is there any any event to which he will have the dignity to shut the f*** up? Or is that asking too much? I don't think so. Like, it almost seems surprising that people are still surprised that he has the most inappropriate reaction to everything because his track record has only been that. Right. He, he tends to be quiet when white supremacists commit murders. Right. No, there's right. definitely things he avoids talking about that also speaks very loudly to who he is. But I I, I think I read his tweets to the mayor and I was just like, I'm horrified. But at the same time, you have a resume full of this type of work. So I know you're good at it. <laughs> He's, he is consistent. Yes. Not, he is in, in, consistent in his insanity. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're so proud right now to have him representing 
our country. And we're all proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, the American electoral system. (laughs) Your emails now and an update. Uh, As we reported a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, someone amongst our, our listenership um, took the mature decision to sign us up to the Labour Party's emailing list under the name of Dick Wads. <laughs> so the Bugle podcast inbox, to which you are all welcome to email uh, your emails to hellobuglers at thebuglepodcast.com, is full of stuff from the Labour Party, um, such as yesterday, Dick Wads, have you voted Labour yet? <laughs> if so, amazing. <laughs> Very passive-aggressive, that. In big red letters, today's the day, Dick Wads. Make sure you cast your vote. <laughs> From Jeremy Corbyn himself, ready, question mark, Dick Wads. Together we've given Britain a choice. And perhaps Aww. most entertainingly, a thank you message. At 10.22pm last night, so what, 22 minutes after the exit polls came out and showed that Corbyn had pulled... A bit of a, you know, a rabbit out of the bag that was not quite as dead as people feared. <laughs> there it is, says the email under the subject, thank you, from just the Labour Party. There it is. It has been an incredible effort today, and we've done everything we can. Brackets, apart from actually win. All that's left to say is dot, 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 dot. Thank you, Dick Watts. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Oh. Well, I can only uh, thank and complain to the person who signed us up for those. Um, <laughs> please, the rest of you, do not take this as an encouragement to do similar. Too after what late. happened, I know it's too late, but after what happened last time with our old email address that I had to change because of the absolute Jeroboam of filth that has been spewing onto its pages for years now. <laughs> when the f*** will you learn? Yes, certainly, please, no dating services. None. Anyway, do keep your emails uh, coming in to hellobuglers at thebuglepodcast.com. Oh, this this uh, this was sent in by uh, Rob um, on the <laughs> thought. I thought you might like the below story, which includes the following brilliant quote. And this is about Rex Tillerson going to New Zealand. I've been in motorcades for a couple of years now. I've never seen so many people flip the bird at an American motorcade <laughs> as I saw today. <laughs> the world will not take it lying down. I like that he specifies American, and says, <laughs> of course there was a Peruvian motorcade that was really the one to beat. But anyway. that's making America great again, isn't it? It is. That you start with everyone flicking you off. <laughs> and then from there, it's just up. Yeah. That brings us towards the end of uh, this bugle. Uh, a few gigs to plug. Uh, I'm doing Satirist for Hire at the Underbelly on the 20th. Do send your requests in for that. Quite a lot of things to be talking about politically. On the 27th of June, I'm doing a fundraising gig uh, to raise money for my children's primary school at the Hideaway in Streatham with Jeremy Hardy, Sophie Hagen and Johnny and the Baptists. And we've got the live bugle on the 13th of July, starring Helen Zaltzman. Our mum and dad are going to come to watch. Yes, our parents will be starring in the crowd, probably asleep, (laughs) I would imagine. Yeah, listen out for that. (laughs) That's uh, also at the Underbelly on the 13th of July. Oh, you'll, you'll also be able to hear our dad going, what is this shit? <laughs> this is crap. What is it? <laughs> he has a much more South African accent when you do... He plays do it up for the mic. He does. Right. Um, uh, also, my, I'm doing uh, a couple of weeks in Edinburgh from about the 13th of August. I should probably know this by now. And there's a couple of live bugles up there. Details on the internet. 
you can see Aparna in Soho until, what, tomorrow? Tomorrow. So if you... Are there tickets left for tomorrow? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so if you listen to this by t- tomorrow, which is by the time you listen to this, possibly today. So <laughs> right. Saturday is the last day. Are um, there tickets available for Friday? If I you believe listen to so. this really quickly. Yeah. You can listen to this extremely quickly. Um, so that's at Soho Theatre. Listen to Helen on the illusionist podcast part of the Radiotopia stable. I will be back next week with further updates on... Oh, we'll probably have an- another election on Thursday, I would think. <laughs> what else <laughs> would we be doing? <laughs> Perm election, please. Bring it on. Bring it on. You can never vote enough. I voted so many times on Thursday. It was awesome. Everywhere I could put an X in a box. Until next time, Buglers, goodbye. The Bugle is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, made possible with great support from our founding sponsors, The Knight Foundation, celebrating creativity, chaos and teamwork. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.